0: So, before we dive into the text itself, um, kind of the theme of the story and the theme of the song that we're going to be looking over is Waiting on God. And uh, over the summer, I thought about doing a teaching on Waiting on God because I thought it was so applicable to the current situation that we're in, and really for young adults in general. Because as of today, we're on day 272 of the 14 days to, to flatten the curve. So we've been waiting a long time for a lot of different things. And while I was studying over the summer, it just wasn't coming together. And then, so I just axed it. And then the Lord just brought it up right now. And so now we're gonna try to try to explore it, because in a lot of ways, a lot of us are waiting. Some of us might be waiting for that job to open up. Some of us might be waiting for uh, the schools to start, for the program to to begin, for the the one to walk into our life. We're all waiting for some, don't, you guys know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like, (laughs) be all quiet about it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Waiting for the right one to come in, or whatever it is. We're all waiting for different things in our lives, and in this story, we're going to see a couple who's been waiting a long time for something very specific. They've been waiting a long time for a child, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We were introduced to them last week, and there's this sweet, awesome couple, and they waited, and they waited month after month, month after month, and they still couldn't have a kid, but the Lord was going to go and do something amazing and miraculous in their lives, and so we're going to read the story, And then we're going to read Zechariah's song after the baby is born. And it's going to show us uh, first the God that we're waiting for. Then we're going to see how we wait on the Lord. And then finally, we're going to see peace in the waiting. So first... The God that we are waiting for. So let's read it all and then we're going to go through it. So in verse five of chapter one, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So Zechariah, he's a priest Elizabeth, she is a part of a priestly family. So he married into a priestly family and they're both righteous and blameless before God. Basically, they were that couple. They were the power couple, right? But in verse seven, it says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. She was past the time of having children. Verse eight. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so what's happening here is the priestly families, they would work the temple two weeks out of the year, and all of the other weeks they would actually be working normal jobs. So two weeks out of the year, they go and they serve in the temple, and then they cast lots, which was basically like rolling dice, and it would land on a certain person, and that person would get to go into the temple and burn incense. And so he, Zachariah was a part of a big family. There was a lot of priests and at and only twice a year they served That means for him to actually be able to go into the temple and burn incense This was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The odds just weren't in his in his favor And so this is a big momentous day in Zechariah's life and it says in uh, verse 10 and the whole multitude of people were praying outside the door uh, at the hour of incense And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The whole not drinking wine um, or strong drink reference back to a Nazarite vow in the book of Leviticus, and so he was going to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. And he will go before him, er, and in verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart's of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared so he's doing his duties as a priest burning the incense boom angel shows up he says you're gonna have a child your prayer has been heard you're gonna have a child not just any child you're gonna have the forerunner to the Messiah and in verse 18 Zechariah said to the angel how shall I know this he's just thinking logistics now (laughs) I'm old My wife's old, we've never had a kid. How how is this going to happen? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering about his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them in the, in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So he goes and he says to, to the angel, I don't know how this is going to happen. The angel says, because you didn't believe me, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak. And so he goes out. All the people are like nervous about it. Like, what's he doing inside? Why is it taking so long? And he does like hand motions, tell them like angel without speaking, you know, does little hand motions things. And then they say, okay, this happened. He goes home and then his wife gets pregnant. And then what we saw last week is that, um, Mary also gets pregnant, goes to Elizabeth's house, and they have their great time talking about stuff. And then Mary's song happens. And then after that, Mary goes home. Mary goes home. Elizabeth has the child. And as, after they have the child, eight days later, they go and present the child at the temple, which was according to custom. And all of the people ask, what's his name? And Elizabeth says, John, because that's what the angel said. And all of the people are like, You don't have a family member named John. Why is the name John? And so they ask Zachariah, hey, what are you going to name him? It should be your name, right? Zachariah. And Zachariah gets a tablet and says his name is John. And then he's able to speak. And as soon as he's able to speak, it says that he praises the Lord and and he's he's so thankful. And then he says his song. So here's his Christmas song. In chapter 1, verse 67. And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that, we swore, that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we... Being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might be able to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So the child's born. Zachariah's amazing prophecy. They received the child that they had been prayed for and longing, been praying for and longed for for so long. But in a lot of our lives, we're in seasons of waiting, waiting for the next step, waiting for the next thing. How do we wait on the Lord? And I think the first thing we have to do when we talk about waiting on the Lord is to realize who we're waiting for. Because if we think about God and we think of him as being stingy, think of him as being remote, thinking of him as being distant or being uncaring, then waiting on him is going to be much more difficult. Waiting on him is basically going to be impossible. So we have to know who he is in order to be able to wait on him faithfully. And the Bible is all revelation of God. So whenever you're reading the Bible on your own time and you're kind of wondering to know how to interpret it, the first question to ask is, what does this tell us about God? Because every single passage tells us something about God. So that's the first question. What does this tell us about God? And this tells us some amazing things about God. First, it tells us that God is listening. God is listening. When the angel showed up, what, what did he say to Zechariah? Your prayer has been heard. Judging by Zechariah's reaction, he hasn't prayed that prayer in a long time. (laughs) He was like, what are you talking about? Like, this can't happen. How is this possible? It's not even on the top of his mind. It wasn't his most recent prayer, probably. And so when the angel comes up and says, your prayer has been heard, you're going to have a son. That means God remembered his prayer. He listened and he paid attention and he remembered it over the course of, of years because God is listening. He's paying attention. It says in the book of Revelation chapter 8, I thought it might be applicable to go to the book of Revelation because, you know, seems kind of apocalyptic these days, and so Revelation chapter 8, an angel is carrying a censer, which is basically a giant ice cream scoop, and so it's carrying a a giant ice cream scoop, a censer, with some coals in it, and it's burning incense to the Lord in heaven. An angel's carrying this into the throne room of God, and it says that this incense is the prayers of the saints. When you're waiting for something, you're by yourself alone in your room, and you're praying, your prayers ascend to heaven like incense. And they're in God's presence. They're near, they're close, he's listening, he's attentive. And in the book of Psalms, it says... Psalm 56, it, it says that God keeps our tears in his bottle and is, and is writing them down in our book, and he knows our tossings. You know, when you're just tossing in the night and you just can't sleep and you're praying because you're thinking, you're stressed, you're, the Lord's there and he's listening. That's the kind of God that we serve. But not only is he listening, he's also generous. He's generous. Notice when the angel shows up, he says, you're going to have a child, but it's not just any child. It's the child that's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And Jesus would eventually call John the ba- Baptist. There's no greater man born among women than John the Baptist, literally the best son you could ever have. <laughs> that's the child that Elizabeth and Zachariah had. It wasn't just an Esau child. It was the best child. That's what the Lord provided to Elizabeth and Zachariah. The Lord is generous in the fact that he brings good things. It says in the book of Matthew that he's a good father. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to them that ask? When we ask him, he knows what's best for us. And he knows what's good for us. And he provides good things for us. He's generous in that way. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So when we go to him and we pray to him, we, be, we can be confident that he's going to give us what is best. Okay, Stephen, I hear you. Are you saying all of my dreams are going to come true? <laughs> are you saying all I have to do is ask whatever I want? And he's going to give me whatever I want. I think he's going to do you one better. I think Jim Elliot said it best. Jim Elliot, he was a missionary in the 1950s to um, South America or Middle America, and he says, dreams, talking about the dreams, the aspirations, the things that we pray for and lose sleep over, the dreams that we have are tawdry when compared with the leading of God. Now, tawdry is an obnoxious sounding word, (laughs) but it it describes uh, jewelry that's fake jewelry, So it's shiny, it's sparkly, it looks valuable, and it looks attractive, but there's actually no worth, no value there. And he says, dreams, they're tawdry. they, They look nice, they look flashy, they look shiny, but there really isn't the value there. Instead, well, it says, instead dreams are tawdry when compared with the leading of God and not worthy of the aura of wonder we usually surround them with. God only doeth wonders. He does nothing else. His hand can work nothing less. God's the only one who does wonders. We can think up of these amazing dreams and things that we have, and honestly, that's that's tawdry. That's not even close to what God has planned for us. He only does wonders. He can do nothing less. <laughs> So when we think about the things that we pray for and the things that we're asking for, I am at the point in my life now old enough where I can say, thank you, God, you didn't give me what I asked for because you gave me what I really needed. I am so glad the Lord didn't give me what I asked for, but he gave me what I really needed. And this is, I think, what Tim Keller said it because he's the sage, wise man he is. He says, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Do you actually believe that? I don't know if I actually believe that all the time. My actions in life doesn't reflect that I believe that. Because if I did, I wouldn't be so anxious. I would be so much more peaceful. I would... Sleep way better. If I actually believe that God is going to give me what I would have asked for if I knew everything that He knows, that would have led me to a life so much more of peace. Because God knows and He's generous. He's generous. So, the God we're waiting for, He's listening, but not only that, He's generous, and not only that, He's faithful. And this is where we get to look at his song. Look at, look at the song in that, that he says. In verse um, 69, it says, And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So Zechariah, he, he, he's exclaiming that God has been faithful to his promise to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's when God came to David and established the Davidic covenant is what it's called. He promised David that you will always have a king on the throne. Your throne will be established forever. And he was blown away. He was totally just... (laughs) overwhelmed with gratitude because of God's promise to him that his kingdom would never be taken away, but that he would have a descendant on the throne for forever. And what Zechariah is saying is right now, that promise is being fulfilled. Right now, the king is coming. And we know that Jesus, he is the fulfillment of that. That Jesus, he is the true king that will reign forever and ever and ever. That promise that came to David is being fulfilled right now in Zechariah's time. And when that promise was made, it was at a thousand BC, so it took literally a thousand years in order for for the fulfillment to come, but it came because God was faithful all the way to the very end. But not only that, he goes on to say, as he spoke by, in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies by the hand of those who, who, who hate us. So then he goes and says, all of the prophets... All of the promises that came through the, through the prophets, those are being fulfilled as well. God was faithful to David, and he's also faithful to the prophets. There are, there, there are so many prophet pro- prophetic passages in the Old Testament that all got fulfilled in Jesus. In, in, in the book of 2 Corinthians one twenty, it says that all of the promises of God find their yes in him, which means all of the promises in the Old Testament, everything that was expected, found their fulfillment in Jesus. He comes and he's the fulfillment of All of it. So he was faithful to the prophets. And then finally, it says in verse 72, to show mercy to promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. He also promised to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis chapter 15 and, and 17. That was well over a thousand years. He was faithful all of that time. fulfill his promise, where now he promised to Abraham that he would have many sons, as many sons and descendants as the stars in the heavens. And it says in Romans chapter 4 that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. He has more kids than he knows what to do with. (laughs) It goes back to the old song that we learned in grade school, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? (laughs) He was faithful to his promises. This is the God that we are waiting for. He is listening. He's present. He's generous. And he is faithful. So, how do we wait on the Lord then? So that's who we're waiting for. Now, how do we wait on the Lord? How do we go about this life waiting on the Lord? (laughs) Because a lot of us are doing it anyway. So how do we do it? the first is we wait silently we wait silently when the angel showed up to zachariah and zachariah expressed his disbelief he said you will be mute until the baby comes and when i first heard that i was like that's so random (laughs) why you can't speak of all the things of all the punishments you decided oh yeah now you can't speak for nine months like that seems kind of random. Why that? I think what it's doing is it's showing that God for 400 years seemed to be silent. Seemed to be mute, you could say. From Ma- Malachi at the very end to then Matthew when it starts again, there was 400 years in that intertestamental period and God seemed to be silent and now he shows up and says everyone be quiet, I'm working. Everyone be silent, be mute. I am now going to start accomplishing salvation. Salvation is up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to you, Zachariah, to talk your way through this or to figure this out. You be quiet and let me do my work. And I think it harkens back to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 14, it's the crossing of the Red Sea, right? Before they cross the Red Sea, all the Egyptians are coming. They're, they're pinned in by two mountains with, with the Red Sea and then the Egyptians. And so they're trapped. And, and it, then the, Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be Silent. Literally, God says, Stand by and shut up because <laughs> I am going to work. I am going to accomplish salvation. So when you're waiting on the Lord right now, don't try and run ahead of Him. Don't try to get ahead of them. Don't try and make something happen and, and, and do it all on your own, because the Lord is the one who brings about salvation. The Lord is the one who accomplishes it. The Lord is the one who, who goes before us and comes behind us. Don't run ahead of him or try and manipulate him. You know, like when, when you're in your head and you say, okay, I really want this thing, so I'm going to not want this thing, and then the Lord will give me that thing, right? <laughs> Am I the only one who's done that? Come on. <laughs> Like, if I don't want it, then God's going to give it to me. So I'm going to ask him and then, like, pretend like I don't want it. (laughs) We try and play these games. (laughs) And God would say, no, I save by grace. I do things by grace. You can't manipulate me. You can't coerce me. I do this by grace. And it's not by what you can do. And it says in Isaiah 64, verse 4, For from of old no one has seen or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. God is acting on our behalf when we wait on him. He acts on our behalf. And there's no other God like that. Every single other God that you can go out and worship, if you decide to leave Christianity and go after any of the other ones, all of the other gods say, work for me you do this, you do that, you do the other, then you can be saved. No eye has seen, no one has ever seen a God who says, no, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to go and save you. So what we can do while we wait on the Lord is we can be silent and just wait and let him work. But what that doesn't mean is that we don't do anything. (laughs) We wait silently, but we also wait actively actively. We take action. It doesn't mean now, okay, Lord, I, I want to get this job, so I'm going to sit on my couch and eat Cheetos, and then you're going to be able to just provide this job because I'm going to sit and do nothing. I'm being silent. Now you're going to do it. That would be like Zachariah and Elizabeth being like, okay, we're going to have a kid, so we're not going to like, you know, do the married stuff. <laughs> we're just not going to do that. <laughs> it's Like, no, they, you have a part to play. <laughs> you have to be active in your walk with the Lord and active in uh, participating in what the Lord has for you. So if you have a job that you're wanting to do, if you have a job that you're wanting to get go to for, and you need an education, better go get an education. You better take the necessary steps in order to be able to get that job. If you want to end up with a spouse, then that means you probably need to go out on a date, even though that's the most ridiculous way that I could think of in order to be able to get into a relationship. It's like... <laughs> Let's go on a date oh let's play chicken with our heart who's gonna turn first <laughs> like, <laughs> what can go wrong <laughs> you have to take the necessary steps to get to where you need to go and so now you might be thinking okay Stephen I hear you you have to wait silently and actively how are those not contradictory <laughs> how are those not at least somewhat exclusive and I think again, the answer is found here. What were Zechariah and Elizabeth doing? They were praying. All of those years, they were praying. How we wait on the Lord while being active is we do everything in prayer. Paul says to pray without ceasing, bathing everything in prayer. That's the way in which we can wait on the Lord while being active. So before you do something, you pray. After you do something, you pray. While you're doing something, you pray. Praying from start to finish, that is how we actively wait on the Lord silently, is through prayer. There's this guy named Andrew Murray, who was a missionary to South Africa in the late 1800s, and he wrote a book called Waiting on God. It's a 30-day daily devotional. And in one of his daily devotionals about waiting on God, he was talking about prayer. And this is what he says. He says, wait on God till you know you have met him. Prayer will then become so different And when you are praying, let there be intervals of silence, reverent stillness of soul in which you yield yourself to God in case he may have something he wishes to teach you or to work in you. Waiting on him will become the most blessed part of prayer, and the blessing thus obtained will be doubly precious as the fruit of such fellowship with the Holy One. Meaning the fruit of it is you get to know God better. God has ordained it in harmony with his holy nature and with ours that waiting on him should be the honor we give him. Let us bring him this service gladly and truthfully and he will reward it abundantly. Do you hear the intimacy in his voice? A reverent stillness, a quiet, a stillness of soul, waiting on the Lord in that way. This is so convicting for me because in my life I want to be able to have this more. We're sitting in his presence, we're actually waiting on him. And and there's a conversation happening, intervals of silence, and, 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 and a true dynamic relationship with the Lord. Having that kind of prayer life, that is what waiting on the Lord looks like. Is yes, it's being active, but it's in prayer. So first, we know who we're waiting on, that he's generous and he's faithful and he's listening. And, and what we do while we wait, we're silent. We're not trying to manipulate things or run ahead of him, but we're waiting for his salvation. But it's active in prayer. But then there's a peace that we wait in. Because I might be able to, like, buckle down and, and wait for coronavirus to lift or whatever, But sometimes there's just a hurricane inside. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of peace happening while I'm waiting. In fact, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of things that I feel like I need to get done, and it's not happening, and you have to just wait. So how do you wait with peace? At the end of this song, I think gives us the insight. At the end of the song, Zechariah, he had explained how God was faithful in the past, and then he turns and he says, this child is going to be the prophet that will pave the way for the Messiah. And then the Messiah, he's going to bring these things. And, and he goes and he explains, here's what the Messiah is coming to do, to give light the, to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's where I want to be. Having God guide our feet into the way of peace, how do I get to that? I think peace, when we're waiting on the Lord, comes from knowing that we have the best thing. Because we can look at some things in our lives and say, I really would like that, or that would be kind of nice, this job would be good, a new apartment would be great, all these different things that we're waiting for. The only way to wait in peace is to know that we already have been given the best thing. And the best thing is God himself. That God himself, he came to this earth, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God came down, and he, on this earth, waited. He went and waited on the Lord. We see him retreating to prayer. We see him saying, not my will, but your will be done. I only do what the Father wills. We see Jesus doing all of these things. God himself waiting He comes and he becomes a human and then dies on the cross so that way we could have a relationship with him. He took the punishment we deserve and gave us the blessing that Jesus deserved so that way we could have a relationship with him that will never fade away, that will never go away, and that truly is the best thing. And when we truly have that, when we know that, when that's real in our hearts that God himself has a relationship with us, we we can resonate with the parable. Um, that, that, that Jesus says. It's the parable of, of the pearl of great price. It says, a man found a pearl in a field and in his joy, he went and sold everything to go and buy that field because he knew the value of the pearl. When we see the value of the pearl, when we see the value of God himself, the fact that he is the good, kind, creator God, which, that we get to live with for forever, When we see that kind of value, we realize everything else is secondary. And so I can wait in peace, knowing that the gospel, the good news, that God himself has come to have a relationship with me, that's good news. And now I can walk in peace and I can wait with peace. So I don't know what you're waiting for, or if you're not in a season of waiting, But I encourage you to look at the gospel, the good news of what we've been given, and the fact that we've been given God Himself. (laughs) And let that be a peace that surpasses all understanding. And let that guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk in that peace, help us to walk in that joy, knowing that you truly are the best thing, that you truly are the most valuable thing. And I pray for those of us who don't believe that, truly in our hearts, deep down in our souls, I pray that you would show yourself to us tonight, that by your Holy Spirit, you would make it real, that by your Holy Spirit, you would make it known that we would see the value of who you are, the fact that you died on the cross for us. And pray for those who are waiting. Pray that they would find that peace and that they would walk in prayer and that we would all rejoice in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.